Welcome to our first CrossFit UAC podcast. My name is Farah McKay and I'm joined today by Franca Onk and Kit Spearings. The purpose of these podcasts is to share with you knowledge and information from at UAC, but also to let you get to know the coaches a bit better. And that is why I'm joined by Franca Onk, who is, if you don't already know, one of the owners of CrossFit UAC. She is a mum of two very active boys and she's a former speed skater. Uh, Hillis is with us here today. Um, he's one of the trainers at UACT. You may recognize him from all the latest YouTube films that he's been making. He's born and bred in Eindhoven and he trained formerly at a top level in cycling. I was wondering, can you share with us, um, yeah, what is your timeline of your sports career so far? Um, I'll try to keep it short because I did a lot of different sports as a as a, a young person, and then um, I did surfing, skateboarding, I played tennis, uh, horseback riding, all kinds of stuff, and then uh, I, did, I did skating once, and I really liked it, so I continued with that, and then. When I was 17, I was in the Dutch uh, junior team, and from there on, I went through several different um, teams. Like also, um, I was in a period with the new commercial teams, and I did that until I was 29, and then I retired. That's basically my skating career, yeah. sports career. Yes. Yeah, similar to Frauke started as a child with many, many sports. I did baseball, ice hockey, uh, hockey, normal hockey, Dutch hockey, and um, finally my dad put me on a bike when I was 15, and yeah, I enjoyed it for a lot, until my 22nd, I think. And then I tried for a couple of years for a recreative uh, level, but it didn't work out, which yeah, I majority just all kinds of sports, soccer as well, and all the squares. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think from my 15th until my 20th, it was majority like 99% of the time cycling. So you said your dad put you on a bike when you were 15. What motivated him, do you know what motivated him to do that? And how did you feel after that first time? Uh, I remember because he bought a mountain bike, mm -hmm. like a, a really normal one, not any fancy. And we did a couple of rides in the forest close to our house and it was just, cannot remember a lot of it and then we brought the mountain bike with us to the front because we always went to France, to the Alps or the Pyrenees to have a holiday and my dad always did cycling in the mountains and in the beginning of their relationship with my mom they went together but as soon as they got children they couldn't cycle together anymore so I think there was a motivation of him wanting to have a partner in cycling mm -hmm. and he put me on the bike and I know it was the Col d'Aspin it's in, in the Pyrenees, and I remember that we were cycling on it and I, was, I had no clue what I was doing. So we were just cycling and I know at the last couple of kilometers, I said like, oh, we're almost there, is that the top? I'm like, yeah. So we're, okay, then we finally can go hard because... <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that I sprinted away from him and I thought like, yeah, he's going to catch me. But then apparently he didn't catch me. <laughs> and on the top I was like, oh, I beat you. <laughs> and then the fun started. So well, okay, I can beat my dad who's like cycling a lot and this is fun. And then, so that was the fun moment and then what, what made you decide to train specifically for this sport? I don't think I made a really decision, it just happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, after that I didn't decide, okay, I go full mode on cycling. I was 15, I was just enjoying beating my dad on a high climb in the Pyrenees during my holiday, so it was just a fun moment. I remembered after that, not really long after, I think two or three months, and after summer, he bought a, a really simple racing bike. Mm -hmm. And I started racing a couple of trainings with his club, which is like a recreational level, so nothing fast. And I remember that I was having a really, really hard time catching up with them, because it's different, of course, because flat and they're going fast, faster at least. And on the slopes, you were at 15, you were weight is more in your advantage. So I remember that we were trying a couple of times catching up with his group and I couldn't. I had to drop out and get to cycle with the two of us together. But it was fun 
because I liked it in some way, I liked it a challenge, but it was irritating and frustrating that I couldn't hold the pace of the group. But mm -hmm. yeah, it, like it frustrated me, like I wanted to do better. And I think that somewhere it started, it's like, okay, I want to follow them. And that's where I think I'm not conscious, consciously, mm -hmm. unconsciously made the decision, I want to get better at this. And that flowed from, in October I became 16. Mm -hmm. Uh, it flowed into training more, more and more and more, and yeah, eventually getting into a competitive circuit. And um, by the training more and more, was that just with your dad or was it with a sports club? Yeah, all with my dad. But now, now I'm thinking, I think he put me on a bike when I was 14, mm -hmm. because now I'm thinking I, be I became October 15th, and then that year I started to becoming, later that year I became mm -hmm. competitive. Yeah, beginning with my dad. He cycled that time on Wednesday and Sundays with his group of friends mm -hmm. and I just joined mm -hmm. him and it was fun, it was challenging enough and that soon, I think after a couple of months into the next year, so after the holiday that year, after in the beginning of the year, it began to become too easy, mm -hmm. as in I could be the best of them. You needed an extra challenge or something like that? No, because I liked that. I was good, I was winning. So as soon as we're doing slopes or sprints, I won. So I had my satisfaction, mm -hmm. but my dad put me then into a club. Mm -hmm. And then there was a new challenge because they were beating me hard. <laughs> so I had again a reason to improve. Mm -hmm. So he just made me a member of Top Met Lust. Mm -hmm. It's a small training club, a competitive club in uh, Geldorp. It's close to Eindhoven. Really fancy name, Top Met Lust. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, they have like also a touristic, like a recreational uh, um, department in that club, but also a really big competitive group. Mm -hmm. And they were cycling together on weekends and in the week they're separate. And slowly there, I also increased my volume of training from two to three to four, and eventually to almost every day. Then, because you were quite, I mean, you were still a teenager when you started. And so I assume you were still going to school at the time. Yeah. How did that balance with each other? Or did it? Yes and no. It was okay as in you're going to school at nine at eight thirty, mm -hmm. something like that. And at three almost every day you're done. So imagine now you have a working day and you start you stop at three, you have a lot of time left. And you don't have to cook, you don't have to do the shopping, you don't have to do your own <laughs> clothes. So <laughs> You're realizing I, now, yeah. No, yeah, but now I realize that I had time. So mm -hmm. um it was okay. And I didn't think about it. I just did it because I liked it. I came home. I I ate often a big bowl of brinta. Mm -hmm, yeah, you still you. Yeah, I still eat. I still <laughs> eat a lot of brinta. <laughs> or like just a sandwich of peanut butter or pasta with mm -hmm. just brown sugar and butter. Just a lot of carbs. And then go training. And then depending on how long the training was, I would be home at six, seven, or eight. And also depending on the conditions outside, if it was getting dark or not. But it was getting quite long. Only one thing, yeah, I, I started to, of course, transmit into an adolescent. Mm -hmm. And it also had some trouble, as in you getting more resistance against your parents. A typical teenager. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. I don't think that training was a lot of influence into that, but I doubled one class at high school. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, repeated a year. Yeah, but I think it was not about because of how I was training too much. I was just. Being a teenager. Yeah. And I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't used to putting a lot of effort into school, mm -hmm. as in if we went automatically a lot of times and at some point you have to put in effort and then you're a teenager and yeah. I hit the wall. So ah. <laughs> but I don't think it had was about was because of training, just mm -hmm. because me. Yeah. yeah. So Frank so Frike, um you said earlier you did lots of different sports and that you put your skates on and you enjoyed it. What who put the skates on your feet and well, what was it that you enjoyed? Uh, back then, which was it's like 30 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, I grew up on a farm and we had a lot of little water around the house. So every winter there was still ice. It's totally different than now. So um, I remember my dad made, um, he had those cool roller skates back mm -hmm. then. I still have them, uh, yellow and blue. And my dad took the wheels off and he put some... Um, yeah, the, the the wooden skates underneath. Mm -hmm. So that's how we started. Uh, so we the wooden blades and such. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so he made our, he made our skates pretty right. much. And we also went to the ice rink once and we really liked it, but after that we did only skating on, on natural the, ice. And the like we is brother or sister? My or? whole family, mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, but my uh, younger sister, we're pretty close, like one and a half year difference. Um, I have an older sister, which she is uh, six years older. Mm -hmm. So I did pretty much everything with my younger sister, so that's also how we started to go to a skating club. So my parents took me to the ice rink and we did like a introduction lesson there, mm -hmm. but it was a lot of uh, playing more, like, like uh, going under stuff or going around uh, cones, uh, things like that. And we, we wanted to skate fast, we didn't want to do all those, those <laughs> weird things, we just wanted to go fast. So they said, maybe for you guys it's a bit better to go to a different style of skating. So the first style of skating was more uh, what we see with the jumps and the twists? And yeah, it was more like, um, I think more for uh, really set up for youth to train everything mm -hmm. in skating. Okay. So uh, you saw different skates, but we also, they, they mentioned like, maybe for you guys it's better to go to a speed skater club and not mm -hmm. like a recreational skating club. Yeah, so that's how we started uh, there. And there were also, like Hilla said, a lot of kids maybe who were faster than we were. And um, my sister was a bit more talented than I was. So that was always frustrating for me. And for, uh, what does talent look like in speed skating? Um, she moved really well. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a funky uh, technical problem in my skating pattern. Okay. So if I, I knew at some point I got a trainer and she said, like, if you don't fix this, you're not getting better. So I thought, okay, this is my goal. And I was always, I really liked the, the technical side of it because it's really a technical sport and mm -hmm. I didn't really matter about being the fastest. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to, do, to move really well. So the only thing I practiced for hours and hours was standing straight up, practicing to make that sort of certain to correct technique that to correct that movement. And at some point, I remember, I still remember it, I think I was like um, maybe 14 years old or something, mm -hmm. 13, and the coach was behind me and she said, yeah, this is it, this is it, keep going, keep going. And I all of a sudden had a click, and then I made, of course, big progression, so that was really, really nice. But I started with competition, I think, when I was 14 or something, mm -hmm. so pretty late. Yeah. Yes, is that late in speed skating? Yeah, I know a lot of kids maybe start already now when they're like eight or nine mm -hmm. with competitions. But I just like, I enjoyed all the, all the different sports, so I wasn't just speed skating. Mm -hmm. I also played soccer at that moment, so I wasn't really into uh, being the best. I just wanted mm -hmm. to move well. I liked the, the challenge of that, I think. Yeah. And when did the transition come where you went, mm, I think I want to invest more time into skating, into speed skating? Um, I think it was around that moment that I figured out I could be good mm -hmm. because I was pretty much slowly getting the best of the club and then it was pretty funny because my parents weren't pushy at all. Mm -hmm. So they invited me for a competition in here in Vane. It was a youth competition and you could win if you had the biggest personal record, like the biggest step. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I won that competition. And I was 16 back then, and um, the coach said, of course I knew I was already pretty good, but not, not, not like that. But the coach was Lane Forma, and he was the coach of the Dutch junior team. Mm. And he saw me, and I thought, like, oh, she has a lot of talent. So that was the next step from there. Um, he invited me into the uh, junior team. Uh, Dutch junior team. Mm -hmm. I remember right, like I was, I was in the garden um, cleaning my bike, my road bike, because I also did a lot of road, road cycling. Mm -hmm. I remember that I, that was the end of your career, or maybe you already stopped. But I remember when I was really young, like 16, and I was riding with that regional club of my dad, that Frauke was now, every now and then as well there. Mm -hmm. I think we cycled like two or three yeah. times in like 
to totally not competitive uh, mm -hmm. environment. Yeah. I remember that. I don't. I only remember that my dad told me, oh, "This is Franco home. She's like a really big <laughs> yeah. like, Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I didn't know. <laughs> but I remember the day because I was cleaning my bike and my my uh, mom knocked on the on the window, mm -hmm. like, "Come inside. There's phone for you." And she says, "It's Lane Frommer. Of course, I knew who he was." And I said, "No." You're kidding. You're said, yo, hello. <laughs> yeah, this is Lane Foreman. I was like, what? Is he really inviting me for the junior team? And also in the junior team, nobody knew me. So mm -hmm. I was really... You were like, unknown name as such. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it, how it all started. Yeah. yeah. Then how did that... So this all happened also at the same time that you're going to school. So how did that all balance out? Who did it? It, it never worked out. I still have dreams about it, that I'm still in school, so... <laughs> no, I, um, I was in the, the, the they call it Vrije School, yeah. um, and I really, and, and I enjoyed going to school, it was okay, but I, I really had no idea what I wanted to be as an adult. Mm -hmm. So it was really easy for me just to choose sports. to do sports. Yeah. So that was my goal, to be good at that. and. In the, in the Dutch junior team, back then you had all the uh, vacation breaks, mm -hmm. that was your training camp. And they gave you time to also study, of course, um, but it was really hard for me to do two things at the same time. Yeah. So eventually I did MAVO, I did HAVO with only three, uh, what do you say that, Fokke? Subjects. Subjects, yeah. And after that I tried all kinds of different different things, more creative style, mm -hmm. but I never finished anything else. Okay. So, then, yeah. so then from the junior team, um, you obviously enjoyed the time there, and you, how did you manage to take the next step from the junior team? Um, well, the junior team was only, uh, back then, allowed a maximum of three years. Okay. And then you had to move to another team. Back then there was only one Dutch national team mm -hmm. um, and they had sprint and all-round. And sprint was, was new, it wasn't really popular in the Netherlands yet. Mm -hmm. But they uh, invited me for that team, for the sprint team, so I could continue with my top score. So it became more and more and more. And besides that I tried to do different things to still learn. Um, so that's that's what I did at the side. So then, at that time, had you moved out of home, or did you not yet? Work? Not yeah. yet. So I didn't have to worry because I make, could make my money off of it. Mm -hmm. um, off of speed skating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have a certain income mm -hmm. once you're in in the national team, and it was there was enough because I still worked at home. And mm -hmm. what Gilles said, yeah, my parents did pretty much everything for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, my mom took me everywhere as a kid, so, um, but at some point I could take care of myself mm -hmm. and after that the big years in skating came with the commercial teams. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of lucky with that period. The timing. Yeah, and I lived uh, at home till my 24th mm -hmm. and then I moved back to Eindhoven. There was a choice also to go to Heerenveen because I was there a lot, but every time I was there we also had to stay in hotels or yeah. stuff like that and I I didn't like to do to be there all the time so it was good for me to also have some uh, yes other attractions or yeah here yeah. so yeah, that was my choice so I lived uh, in a little apartment in Eindhoven. So then in the, in the national team the senior team as such and um, what did the year look like or did you have a, a year overview? Well a year was basically um, from the 1st of May till half of March. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much a full year with one month rest. So there's a period, periodization over the year to work to certain uh, competitions. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, So then the training that you're involved in changed during that year as such? As in the start of the year would look very different to the end of the year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely. And what sort of training would what sort of differences in training would there be? Well, it's set up this way that you first work a lot of your uh, on your base basic of uh, how do you say that. Um, in the beginning, also as a sprinter, you do a lot of 
extensive endurance mm -hmm. to build up a high uh, standard, sort of. And so you're from building up your engines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, from there you make it more and more intense. Mm -hmm. Slowly, more volume, more intense, and then the volume disappears, goes mm -hmm. more intense, and then you have the competitions. Mm -hmm. So that's how basically a year looks like. And then um, the coaching team that supported you in this training, yeah. and I think nowadays there's hundreds of different types of coaches, but then when you were training, what types of coaches did you have? Well, um, it's kind of the same as what it is now. Mm -hmm. Every team has their own coach, their own staff around it mm -hmm. and um, you have a different uh, person for your strength training or technique even you have a person who helps you with sprints on with track and field you mm -hmm. have the best coaches we had the best coaches for pretty much everything and an overall coach who makes the whole uh, program for the year mm -hmm. um, so that that head coach is asking all the other coaches to do their Speciality. Yeah, exactly. Then yeah. How, how would a training week or day look for you? A typical training day, what would that look like? Um, yeah, we, we would get up at 8, around 8, mm -hmm. depend on uh, the time of the year because sometimes we had training camps where we could also skate and then there were only hours available from 8 till 10 in the morning, so mm -hmm. we had to stand up early, like 6 maybe or 6.30, but a normal training day was uh, 8 or 8.30 breakfast. You do your first workout in the morning, you take some rest and do the second workout in the afternoon. You have dinner, maybe after that you have to go to, a, to your a physical therapist or you have to work on your material, on your skates, or there was always something to do. Something to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. It looks easy. Now I look back as a mom of two boys, I think it was really easy, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, in a different way, but there's, it, it's not like what maybe people think you train, you do nothing, you train, you're done for the day. But, yeah. maybe, but maybe because training is, it's not like training for CrossFit that you go into a class and after an hour, okay, good, I'm going home. Yeah. You have to like your full mindset for it and it really takes a lot of mental energy to crush yourself in, mm -hmm. for example, I don't know, which we have to do maybe some sprints. It takes a toll. You really need to recover, not only physically, but also mentally to do something at least. I really, yeah, that's a, that's experience a, like that, that yeah I, exactly. You you work a long time on your warm up. Yeah. Uh, then the 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 most important stuff in your you build towards the most important thing of that training. Mm -hmm. You build towards it, and then you do the most important thing, and then afterwards you do a cool down. Um, you make sure your food is okay. Um, Everything around it, yeah. Mm -hmm. and sometimes you had to do more core strength, which was another 45 minutes. Um, so, yeah, everything is so specific towards something. Yeah. And everything it takes a lot purpose. of time. Everything yeah. has a purpose, yeah. Okay. Yes, then, how did your training look like? Or how did, maybe we'll start back again. How did, did you have a year uh, agenda or anything yeah. like that? Yeah, well, from my 15th to my 17th, I wrote for Top Medalist. Mm -hmm was a not really uh, professional team as in they didn't have like a proper trainer or like a year planning so I just did what the trainer said me told me to do and it was just getting better at everything mm -hmm. no periodization and after that I decided that I felt like yeah I'm getting along now with everybody but I'm missing the edge I'm missing it and I moved to a different team tempo we say tempo, it's from Velto, and that team was like next level. They had like a whole periodization for a whole year. I also got an, an external trainer, um, uh, Jan Gispers. He's also maybe known for from PDM, like mm -hmm. years before, mm -hmm. from the 80s. He had like this really good racing team, and he started helping me out with training, how to make how to make the cut, and yeah, from that moment. It started to have like a year where October was the reset year month, as in you could do whatever you want, try to bike at least once a week, get out, have fun. And from 1st of November, the belt was tightened mm -hmm. and you picked two or twice, three weeks of where you were going to be really, really well. 
And of course, that doesn't mean that the other weeks you were shit, but you chose three weeks to ice three weeks of like high level really focus. Yeah, that's where you're training towards. And I knew for myself, I hate, I hate wind, and I hate rain. So I know for myself, I can take courses in races in March, but the the chances are rain are a lot, and I I, I just I don't like it. So. We have to remember that, Janus. Yeah. So <laughs> I always pick May and end of August, beginning of September. And lucky enough, the courses I was good at, they're also in that period. They are in March. Maybe people are familiar with the calendar of cycling. They know which courses are in March. Like with the cobblestones, I suck at them. So it's good that I didn't like them. So November. December, January, like the same, like Fargo was saying, building the base, foundation, long distance work, not a lot of intensity, just making kilometers. Mm -hmm. I think average five hours on the bike every day, just building, building, building. And a lot of strength training on the bike, and it was new for me because I never did strength training. So I'm like standing on the pedals for 10 kilometers, boring. Just make, make, just but getting. It works. Yeah, get, getting mm -hmm. in the volume, and then from January we started to increase because in May I wanted to be fit. So it was three months. We started to increase blocks of intensity, and every time the trainer had like an idea for it, the training blocks getting more intense, longer, heavier. Training mm -hmm. session got shorter because the base was there, so you could focus more on intensity, and slowly you sharpened everything into sprints. And then in May you're good. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> Then, um, yeah, strike what a typical training day for, for a strike like. What does a typical training day look like for you? Uh, boring. <laughs> no, not boring. It was go to school for breakfast, go to school, come back from school, eat again, train, eat, maybe relax for an hour or not, go to bed, mm -hmm. repeat every day, almost every day. Um, and now when I look back at it, like, did I like that? And at that time, it was like the best, the best thing, thing I could do. Mm -hmm. I liked it a lot. I was enjoying training a lot. I was enjoying all the hours. And um, of course, during when I was shifted more to May, which was end of April, beginning of May, that was my big focus. The trainings become, became to become shorter sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I had more time to do other things. But like I said, my frog was explaining, not talking at I experienced always like the heavy training, not only physically training, but also mentally tra training. So it's really hard to give 100% because you want to give 101%. And imagine doing like 10 sets of a soul bike sprint if you're ready to crossfit. Well, I'm, I'm already getting sick before. <laughs> yeah, anyway. but, but not only like imagine reloading, recharging yourself for the seventh sprint. Mm. and. Yeah, once you have, because I wanted to be the best, so you want to do those sprints at perfect effort. Mm -hmm. And you know, you need to have to recharge yourself, and that recharging costs me a lot of energy. I was quite drained after training, as in, I couldn't handle a lot of more things to do in my life. So I could do my homework, but that's it. So, yeah, social, really social activities, yeah. or even with my family, I was like often in my room or just on the couch. Vegetating, just for yeah. yeah. Not that recovery. I was like completely depressed, but no, more but like just leave me because yeah. And in the October, I felt November when the trains were longer and easier, it was less like that. Mm -hmm. But as soon as the season began, began, it became heavier. So mentally. So Frank, I mentioned head coach and different coaches, and um, who came up with your training scheme? Young Young Kispers. Okay. He was my for me the the guy who. For me, completely made a difference. Mm -hmm. So I owe him a lot for that. And he was in the recreational training group with my dad. So my dad knew him and he saw me cycling a lot. And he saw like, yeah, you're not training well and you're already at this level. You should get this higher. And I'm like, yeah, but how? I can mm -hmm. help you. He said like, yeah, because I didn't know him. And now I know he was a really big guy in cycling before me. And I met him like in that September, October, February. When I was 16, mm -hmm. so I did one full year of competitive cycling. I met him a couple of times on his, in his room, I think at his house, and we made a plan for the year. And he advised me also to change team. So I changed team on advice of him. We made a whole schedule for a couple of months, and I started training. He started tracking me, so a couple of times behind the scooter. Mm -hmm. If you know that, that, that cycling yeah. is a big thing, because then you can simulate the speed without having the 
influence of weight, so mm -hmm. it's really good training. So it helped me a lot out, out, out with those things. And uh, yeah, from there, you always was there. When I was in Italy, I had to follow their program, but I always let it check with my young because mm -hmm. yeah, I trusted him because he built me to where I was. Yeah. So I trusted him with that. So if he said like I would change this, I would secretly so change it a little bit. Little so you just bit. mentioned Italy there. What was the difference between training in Italy and training in the Netherlands? In Italy, I was professional. So my goal was. I lived because I was doing cycling. Mm -hmm. In the Netherlands, I lived also to do school. So mm -hmm. I was not sure yet if I was good enough. In Italy, I knew I was good enough. Mm -hmm. So I could focus solely on that. My dad forced me to do some sort of university course, which I did. But it was just because I had to. To have something. Yeah, my, my sole purpose in life at that moment was to cycle and to get better and to mm -hmm. win races and to get a better contract mm -hmm. and to stay within this professional cycling uh, circuit yeah. to improve even my position. So you, you mentioned races <coughs> there. Um, were there specific preparations you made on the run-up to races, or yeah? No. No, it's just part of the training scheme. What do you mean, your races? In races, you mentioned that you took part in races, yeah. competitions. Yeah. And I was just wondering, was there very specific preparations you did on the run-up to races, like in the in the days beforehand? Oh, as in, the, for example, on Sunday I would have a race, what I would do on Thursday? Yeah, exactly. The week before. Um, sharpening the knife, especially mentally. <coughs> mm -hmm. So I, I knew I was ready because the weeks before you would have tested yourself at some points. Often I would have recognized the parkour already. Mm -hmm. So I recommend with the team or with Jan or with my dad. Um, so I knew where, what I had to do. I was, I was quite visual, so I wanted to know which corners, what was the slope, where, where is it, how is the wind, how does it look, how does the finish line look, I mm -hmm. wanted that in my head. So I knew everything already about the race, I could dream it, and yeah, just sharpening the knife as in, I'm going to smash them. <laughs> then how, how would you feel the night before the race? Relaxed. Relaxed? Yeah, I could always sleep well. No. I was more like, let it be tomorrow. Oh, you, you were, ex as in you wanted tomorrow to already be? Yeah, yeah. because I was ready. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that because in cycling you don't win so much because there's 180 people mm -hmm. or 160 depending on how big the paddle is. So it's different with, for example, swimming, which is like more like an honest a sport. Smaller group of people. And also an honest sport, as in the fastest wins. Mm -hmm. But cycling is a tactical sport and you have teams. So you can crash, you can have a flat tire. And still win. Exactly, and but also the parkour needs to be with you, as in I was like a hilly uh, rider, mm -hmm. not, not mountainous, but hilly. So on the flat I had difficulties to catch up, so I knew I could, if I would end up with the first group, it would be for me a win. Mm -hmm. While <coughs> when it was hilly and I wasn't in the first group, then I was angry. Yeah. And I uh, disappointed myself. So it's mm -hmm. also, cycling is not like a sport where winning could be also in that you perform at a certain level, because yeah. the level is so different as in every race. Then after a, after a race, if you were disappointed, how would you move on as such? Oh, easily. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's, that's what I mean, it's casino, uh, uh, cycling is in that way a casino, mm -hmm. as in often I was the bestest of, bestest of the race, but I didn't win, and that's just the way it is and you need you learn to accept that because you know you cannot win every race and sometimes you disappoint yourself if there was a reason as in i slept bad didn't take care of myself i trained bad mm -hmm. then i would change that dramatically and really be like a monk the weeks after because that's something i didn't accept but mm -hmm. if the race didn't fall out like i wanted for example the first group took away and i wasn't there to jump on i made a mistake that sucks and i would prevent making that mistake again but that's part, part of cycling, of that's part of the game that I like. So yeah. then I'm on the wrong side of the game, but I like that game, so. Yeah, you're willing to take part. <coughs> yeah, so you need to lose or to win. Yeah. Yeah. And how about yourself, Rijka? How, how did you feel, or how did you prepare on the run-up to big competitions? Well, in speed skating, that's a bit different. Um, the big competitions I did was in, for me, in um, Heronvein mm -hmm. and speed skating is a big sport here. So we were there a week before 
and you see everything slowly change. Every day there's more um, uh, journalists coming mm -hmm. in, walking in, there's more cameras around, there's the... The, the circus, there's more of the, the circus. The circus is yeah. slowly building up, even with the lights and everything, mm -hmm. it's really... It adds it slowly adds up to a certain point, mm -hmm. so that also helps to build up the kind of feeling. Okay, this is going to be important. Something is yeah. happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I had kind of like two ways to go into it. I wasn't a speed skater that was. Um, you have people who can skate one week really fast, or let's say Saturday really fast mm -hmm. and Sunday they suck. Or the other way around. I wasn't a skater like that. If I was good, I was good for a longer period. If mm -hmm. I was bad, I was bad for a certain period. I couldn't change. It was just... It was what it was. It wasn't... Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. So, if I knew I was good, I had a good vibe. You know, you feel mm -hmm. good, you feel hungry. But you also had those certain moments where you, you knew it was an important competition and you were not good. And mm -hmm. then you know, okay, I'm going to make this the cut for a World Cup, yes or no, or stuff like that. And that was sometimes hard because then you're struggling longer to... Get uh, to where you need to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes that, that kind of nervous, of course, if you're, if you're in top form, that's, that's really nice. But mm -hmm. if you know you you're kind on of the on edge. the edge or suck, then it can be really hard. Yeah strange that like being on the top level <coughs> is like it's something uncatchable yeah i think it's a feeling it's not like you you cannot predict it it's not like math like mm -hmm. do this training and you're you're there you're top shape no, there's yeah. something uncatchable yeah. it's a feeling that like at least for me but i think the same for you in some way you can suffer harder you can you're less uh, stressed everything is just everything like clicks puzzle pieces come together yeah. Yeah, and there are so many puzzle pieces as well. I mean, it's not just your training; it's, no, it's everything else. It's like everything else. Yeah. And it's really strange that sometimes you do like a perfect setup, and then you're in the race, and you're like, no, it doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have like the feeling like I missed some trainings, and then you're there, and yeah, you mm -hmm. feel like oh, I can take everything. My legs can handle everything. It's you mm -hmm. sort of leg, leg dominant sport, but you can suffer like ten percent more. Yeah. It just happens. It feels good. Yeah. Exactly. Did, did either of you have a ritual to do with the competition? Like always wear the same pair of socks or anything like that? Um, I've heard strange stories, that's why I ask. So. Not, not really that, with certain uh, type of clothes or anything. Mm -hmm. um, but more like a setup of the day that okay. I really liked. Or I knew I don't like to have a rest day day before competition. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the team was scheduled that way, mm -hmm. but later change it and you had more influence to it, so I knew, okay, I want to be on the ice even if it's for 10 minutes. Yeah. Or um, sometimes you have to test the environment a little bit. Mm -hmm. I was not an athlete with always music in my ears because I wanted to hear every little thing. I wanted to be there. And, Present. And yeah. yeah, exactly. So those things, I always had the same rhythm if it was possible. Mm -hmm. So. Um, it also can can do weird things with you because we have inner lanes and outer lanes mm -hmm. that you know beforehand. And I remember a race where I didn't look really good at the the loading, how you yeah. say that? The schedule of the, the, lottery, yeah. Yeah, the lottery. And I was on the outer lane instead of the inner lane. And then you have to change it in a split second. You have to change your whole tactical uh, stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I thought like, oh, I didn't. I, I was surprised about myself that I was confused about it. Mm -hmm. So all those little learning moments, moments are yeah. funny to look back at now. But, um, yeah, did, you, so did you have anything? Yeah, Madame. Like Brinta, no. always a big brother Brinta before No, 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 they're not like that, but I, I'm structurized. As in, like even now with my trainings of CrossFit, I write down, I write down everything I do and I like my structure. And if I divide from my, if I get away from my structure, mm -hmm. that does something with me. You feel yeah. uncomfortable, do you? I have yeah, exactly the same. I feel yeah. sh completely shit and nervous. I'm like, like there's a frustration and anger coming then. I don't know why. And even now I feel sometimes when, I, when I'm even like re recreational level CrossFit, when I, do, when I get away from my Your intended plan. structure, <laughs> I'm like, I'm unenjoyable. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm an unpleasant person. <laughs> and with cycling, I was completely unreasonable then. So I had my structure, for example, on Sunday was a lot of times to courses. Mm-hmm. I had to do something. I had to sleep at Saturday at, at a certain time. Um, I wanted to eat well at nine o'clock and I wanted to eat my lunch kind of thing, my, my carb load at that time and I wanted to eat this amount. And if I didn't manage to, I was irritated. Mm-hmm. So I had just my structure and if it was really easy structure, like I had to eat pasta, no, I just, I had to eat and just, if I kept to my planning, it was good. It was, yeah. And sometimes my planning got interfered by something just... Life, life. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. For example, things that were getting late to the course, because I was completely relaxed. It was more like my body. Mm-hmm. My body needs to be ready to tackle a lot of beatings. <laughs> and I wanted it to be ready. And I had like a plan in my head, like this is. How are you going to take care of mm-hmm. your body to make yeah, sure? Yeah, and if I, if I got away from that plan, it was shit. Yeah. And I was mentally not always ready to get myself back onto track like don't get don't worry go you've both talked about mental preparation and things like that but how did your social lives look like amongst all this training did it exist i'm not a social person anyway <laughs> but uh <laughs> but um i had friends um from school mm-hmm. but not much like mm-hmm. um and in skating you have a few people uh, that you see pretty much the whole, time. The whole year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I didn't have a lot of friends besides, so for me it, was, it wasn't really So you mainly socialize with other skaters and... Exactly, yeah. 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 Could be also be from other teams, but also a lot of uh, nationalities, mm-hmm. so not only from the Netherlands. And yeah, that was pretty much it. Yeah. I, had, I had a big bunch of friends from high school. Mm-hmm. We're still together now. So it's 15 years later, 16 years, so we had a, a good group and that was hard mm-hmm. because they started to do drinking, going out, and I was not going out, didn't do the drinking, but I did uh, join their evenings, as in they would, we would gather at 8 at somebody's house and we would just watch a movie or play a game. I would, would just drink cola or water or tea and at some point it became, it could become hard as in I saw the joy they were having mm-hmm. and at that moment I found out but today, like as soon as I was in bed, I didn't care anymore mm-hmm. because I had this bigger goal in mind which was important to me and then you're really individualistic as in... Yeah, you're focused. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I mean I was in my motivation to become the best as in wasn't because I wanted to show my friends or my mother that I was the best, but mm-hmm. I want myself, I liked that feeling. As yeah. in, you're I wanted right. to beat those other guys for myself. Yeah, you were intrinsically motivated. It yeah, that's what I like. So, yeah. And that way I also could easily sell to myself, like, yeah, then I'm missing out on that joy because I want this. Mm-hmm. So it was not really a decision, hard decision, but I'm... You made the decision at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. but on those evenings, yeah, it was sometimes tempting, tempting to go with them. And in October and November, like in the off-season, mm-hmm. I did sometimes, not too much. Definitely not smoking or those things because that was of course too much impact on the lungs. Mm-hmm. And I stayed away from smoking as well, if people were smoking, I was consciously about that. Yeah, I did some drinking nights, but to be honest, not a lot. Mm-hmm. Because it just, yeah, it feels yeah. stupid to train like 30 hours a week. And then undo it smash all yourself in, and then <laughs> in two hours. And then smash yourself on booze and <laughs> be shit on the race course anyhow, yeah. I'm not gonna ride in the rain <laughs> and the wind, you know, now I, I, I hate it, so I had to do it anyhow, and it was not nice, and it was a boring training session, yeah, then you need to sacrifice a lot. So, if you look back then on the competitive time of your careers, what was your high points? World Championship Juniors. Mm-hmm. As in, I think my juniors, because I did in Italy, it was not junior anymore, it was like the elites as mm-hmm. in then you're 18 plus and then there's no category in between you're elite and that sucks because then you have to cycle on your 19th against armstrong i didn't cycle it's but like crossfit for such yeah you're, yeah you're in the elite group so and the shitty thing when you become elite is it becomes a commercial game mm-hmm. so it's a whole different cycling when you're under 18 it's more like a game 
everybody's running for themselves. There are some teams, but even within the team, of course, everybody wants to win. And it's one big race. And it's, yeah, it just feels so like limitless. Mm -hmm. Everything is possible. You can do, you can you, attack from, from... You were empowered as such. Yeah, yeah, you can do everything. You decide how you race. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember the World Championship were on the same was that year, or the first time, it was on the same parcours as the elite were doing. And I remember my favorite uh, cyclist of all time became world champion over there. And was, that was, of course, also a hype that I saw him becoming world champion. Who was it? Oscar Ferri. Okay. <laughs> Different story why, why he's my favorite. Okay. So the next podcast, <laughs> then. Um, I have a nice story about him because I know him a little. But. Um, I was on the same parkour and we were on Thursday, we were on Sunday, so I could watch us also. Fred, all those big guys cycling on the same parkour and training when I was training there. And I just had the best day, I think, ever in my cycling life. I just, everything clicked. I made the attack on a certain climb that I wanted to make and everybody, I dropped a lot of people. And I mean, just still now when I think about it, it gives me a little bit goosebumps that on that is in Verona. Yeah, just everything clicked. I mm -hmm. did what I wanted. I wasn't fast enough in the sprint, but that's okay because I wasn't the fastest at all in sprinting, so I can accept that. But yeah, I dropped the guys I wanted to drop. Guys who won had difficulty following my wheel on the climb, so. Cool. Yeah. Nice, yeah. yeah. I did what I wanted to do, so yeah. that's cool. And yeah, I wasn't the best that day, but that's okay. Yeah, and Fred, I mean, you described it as a goosebump moment. Did <coughs> you, uh, you, looking back at your competitive career, did you have a yeah, I do, but it's not the race itself. Mm -hmm. So uh, I remember my first race in a full tee-off in Irvain, a okay. packed uh, area. And uh, one of my, uh, I was in the in a team Sanex, a commercial mm -hmm. team, and I was kind of the youngest, sort of. And I had Rintje Ritsma in my team, Martin Hersman. Marianne Timmer, mm -hmm. which I was on a picture with as a little kid, you know. <laughs> they, were, they were my idols. Yeah. Um, and Martin came up to me before the race and he said, like, you have to go on the ice before you race. Don't go on there and then just race. Just go on the ice a bit early and then see what happens. So I did. And I went on the track as the first Dutch person. And everybody was like cheering, yeah, oh, wow. they saw one Dutch person, so it was, I was just <laughs> waving to the audience. It was in the blue and the red. Uh, yeah, yeah, the old uh, Egon uh, style, which was really, really cool. Yeah. So that was a goosebump moment. And I think also another race, which was also in Heerenveen, where I did really well. Mm -hmm. That race just felt really good. Mm -hmm. I think I was sixth place or something, that was really cool. Um, and my best race was a race in Germany, where I was second on the 500 with just one hundredth of a second. So it was kind of happy, but also bummed. Like this yeah. was the, the chance, and I didn't do it. You know, mm -hmm. like it's like one centimeter on the yeah. ice. Mm -hmm. It was frustrating, but it was also my first time on the podium, so I was also really happy. But the moment, the, the, the times that you remember is more like when you're at your best and that mm -hmm. feeling that you can put on the ice, that everything feels right, that does more to me than... All the other time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's more like a feeling or something. Yeah, but like that's that. exactly the feeling I had during that World Championship. I had this yeah. plan and I wanted to attack and I felt during the attack, I can make some attack until the top. Yeah. And I saw people having trouble with my speed and with my attack. Like, yeah. This is this, this is, is this is this cycling is for me. Yeah. And then it doesn't matter you, at that time if I flattened my tire, crashed and didn't race mm -hmm. anymore, I didn't care because I made the attack I wanted to make. Like you see on the television, you see Bettini of Alvedi making the attack. Like, fuck, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> now it's the same <laughs> in a world championship. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So with all these happy memories and stuff, then what was it that triggered either of you to stop this pursuit of competitive? skating or cycling? Uh, many reasons, mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of reasons. It starts first with that cycling is a really boring sport to do because like I told you twice, three weeks of really good and the rest was volume building and cycling is not a sport where you have like a lot of other activities next to it as in mm -hmm. strength training or 
yeah, what, what, what? Yeah, we didn't do a lot of more. We didn't do cycling every day. Mm -hmm. So in November, December, January, we were just cycling every day for hours. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, of course, the scenery is nice in Italy. But at some point, it also starts to get boring because, again, you're in a saddle for four, five, six hours. And that starts to bore me because I wanted to, I like that junior time so much because then you're racing more. You're elite, you're more like planned, like now you need to be good. Mm -hmm. And the other time, you're not racing but only building. So it starts to become a little bit boring, the training. I miss the social life in Italy then. I miss like my friends from high school, I miss my mother, I miss my sister, my father. Mm -hmm. Just Eindhoven, Netherlands in general. Just what age were you when you stopped? 22. 22, yes. I so stopped in Italy because then, then I tried to be like, because you have different levels, like amateur level in the Netherlands, but it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. I still had to train, I didn't train anymore. Had you, had you lost your motivation to train then, or the interest in training? At that level, yeah. yeah. I wasn't uh, performing anymore at the level I was used to, mm -hmm. and I couldn't motivate myself for being mediocre. And, um, but the majority lost, apart from the boredom of training, which could have overcome if I was sure enough that I could make it to the elite level of mm. professional cycling. And I was on the edge. I don't know, still don't know if I would have made it or not, as in, could I made it my profession for, for 15 years? Mm -hmm. But the problem is cycling is like a really big sport mm -hmm. and it's, international like Americans, Australians, even uh, Asia is coming up now, Africans are coming up but South America is a big country as well but Europe is like boomed. Mm -hmm. Every country is like at least 30 proper professionals. So you have to be at the top 30, top 40 from your country which is like really really hard. Mm -hmm. At this moment we have, I think we have 200 Dutch professionals with a license. So the, the, the pool of, is, of cyclists is really large so you have to be really good. And every year you have to fight for your contract in the beginning. So it could happen that at 23 or 27, you don't know. You'd lose your spot or such. Yeah, because somebody <coughs> at 21st or 20th yeah. is showing similar potential as you were doing. But that, they, that 100 of the second or whatever yeah. it is. But yeah. they are 20, so they have like more potential to grow. Mm -hmm. And they know from you already, your potential is flattened. Mm -hmm. So and I, so I'm still growing, of course, but yeah, when did my growth stop? I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I know, of course, I wouldn't win the Tour de France, that's clear. But maybe a help win the Tour de France. Could have been possible. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But that, un that made it like unsure of my future. Mm -hmm. And together with the boredom and the social thing, like, the factors for me yeah, that I per decided. the perfect storm to create. Yeah, and then stuff. I could start university in Eindhoven as well. So it was also a nice moment future to look yeah. up to. And I thought at that moment, oh, well, in the Netherlands, I can still cycle. I was a little bit naive. But uh, yeah, I decided to come back, and from that moment, it just went down really quick. What about yourself, Rijke? Um I retired because of an injury. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't, I wanted to continue, I was 29. Um, but I missed the Olympics twice by just tiny bit mm. and then all of a sudden I had the feeling okay my my body I had kind of a burnout too mm. I think my body was just done done with being a top athlete mm -hmm. so I don't really remember how I made that decision but at some point I knew like okay this is it and I can't come back anymore and the pain I had pain in my leg Mm -hmm. And nobody knew what it was, so the test, whatever. But I think it was at the end, maybe just my body was burned out. Mm -hmm. So that was, then I stopped. And I did. I met Chris, of course, there, so I went to the Olympics anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, well, I know, like, what did you do in the Olympics there? Because I know, but. Uh, well, on? yeah, there were two moments when I uh, went to the Olympics just to uh, watch Chris skating. It was 2006. But four years later, I had a job for the NOS, the TV, and they asked me to come with because I was still, I had a job after skating in clothing. Mm -hmm. Like I had to do the sponsors, to put all the sponsors on the right clothes and teams and everything. So you were so still involved in yeah, the organization exactly. aspects. Yeah. yeah, so I knew all the skaters, mm -hmm. not only in the Netherlands, but worldwide. So the NOS asked me to help with the camera people, actually with sprints. 
it's cool to see what happens behind the scenes now, and now I know, is that if, uh, if there's a 500 meter skater, he's the fastest at that moment, the camera knows, needs to know where it is, where he is at that moment. Then you have number two and number three, and then it's, it changes, and then all of a sudden you have an Olympic champion. Oh, where's that Asian guy? Well, they all look the same. Um, <laughs> there he is, you know, so I helped a little bit with, with scheduling that, that kind of things, and there was also, uh, they call it spotters, or, mm. or position. You also had to uh, look who was in the crowd, and family, okay. uh, oh, yeah, there important is the wife people. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly, stuff like that. I didn't really like that, but I, I, it was... It was kind of a luxury, luxury opportunity. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Because you still didn't go to the Olympics. Yeah, I saw the. Which is like the nice a lot of people pay a lot of money to yeah. go. Yeah, I would at least. I was on top of the switch from Sven Kramer when he changed the wrong lane. Oh, really? That was that Olympics, yeah, in Vancouver. Wow. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy, I but. Uh, I remember because I was in Italy that time, and I remember that I was. Hearing it on the radio because I had no television in Italy. It was broadcasting it. Mm -hmm. So I was listening it on the radio and I still yeah. remember it like that. Um, the funniest that for Frauke is like the Olympics is the biggest you can achieve. Well, in my career, I never, never thought one single second about the Olympics. Mm. It didn't matter at all. It's like, yeah, you can get selected for the national team and then you can race to the Olympics and. I never thought of like being in the Olympic Village and that being at the Olympics was cool. Because that cycling is like... Yeah, it's different. It's different. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do not even know who won the gold medal in, um, I think, Tokyo. No, no, Tokyo was Rio. Uh, Rio 2016. In cycling. I know because I'm, I'm an enthusiast. But I think a lot of people don't know. And who won the last Tour de France? Everybody knows Egan Bernal. Mm -hmm. At least the, cycling, the, the people <laughs> Those who are interested in the sport. Yeah, who, who yeah. like cycling, who know who won mm -hmm. the Tour de France, so, and even the Giro. So that's funny that for you, like everything is targeted to Olympics. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. I'm, I'm like realizing now in my moment, in my career, I never bothered one second mm -hmm. for about the Olympics. Yeah. And is that a? Do you think that's a sports-based thing or a personal thing? No, I think that's really the sport. Sport. Yeah. But then I think it's like the same with soccer. Like soccer and cycling are not so popular on the Olympics, as in it's tennis. Yeah, sailing is very different because it's mm -hmm. quite focused on the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Judo, example, yeah. that's really focused yeah. on the Olympics. Yeah, for me, yeah. that if I that's a strange thing. If I would say like for Frau, what would be the biggest gold medal on the Olympics? That's like the thing. The thing. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. like heaven. And for me, like no, yeah. <laughs> yellow jersey in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, I because I'm in, I like Italy. I want the pink jersey in, in uh, Milan. That's what I always wanted. So, mm -hmm. it's yeah. 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 funny with how sports are different. Yeah. So after your careers in as professional athletes as such, I'm, I'm sure there were steps in between. But now you're both working as trainers here in UACT, and you haven't been trainers just for a month or so. You've done it for a number of years. How do you think your top sport career, your professional athletic career, has influenced you as a trainer, a crossfit trainer? Um, knowledge at first, mm -hmm. because of course cycling is an aerobic sport and it has a carryover to crossfit, which is also partly an aerobic sport. So I had to learn a lot about training, as in how to build an engine, which is obviously a part of crossfit, so partly it has helped in that. It's like a small part. The biggest part for me is what does it take to get better? Mm -hmm. Like mentally, physically, what it is to give up and why do you give up? So I understand people a lot when they're on their soul bike or doing burpees and they want to give up because I have been on that hill to sprint like 1000 times and I know that I want to give up. I know that in my head like, yeah, come on, you, you can skip that last one. Mm -hmm. But I didn't do it. Like that mentality of not giving up and trying to help people in that, like I can understand, relate to them why they want to quit. <laughs> because yeah, really struggling in the rain, I want to quit a lot. Mm -hmm. So that mentality and partly also that I know how enjoyable it is to get better. And I think it's for everybody. But of course I want to be the best in cycling, but being better can also be that you're 66 and you're not able to get to the grocery store and carry your own luggage, mm -hmm. your own yeah, grocery bags. It. And you got better because before that you needed to have your car. Mm -hmm. So 
and I know how enjoyable it is to not only reach to that goal, but work towards it. But enjoy the process. Not that has carried over for me to the approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the same. I feel about the same way. The experience you have from being an athlete for so long and working with so many different top coaches. Mm -hmm. um, speed skating is a big sport, so I, I had the best coaches for every part of it. And we do, in speed skating, you do a lot of different training uh, styles. So. It's similar to CrossFit, I think. Yeah, a little bit. And also, um, what I really liked about being an athlete is the process towards a goal. Mm -hmm. we, we talked about it before, but the, the way to get somewhere, mm -hmm. the practice over and over again on the basics and not so much. Um, not only focusing on the highest level. Exactly. Level, yeah. yeah. And the process, that's something I really like, but also the, yeah, like Gilles said, the, the bit of the mental part of it. Mm -hmm. Like even now, I know if, if athletes here are doing the workout or five minutes before the workout, they, they will be nervous. Mm -hmm. I still have that myself if I do a workout. Like, oh shit, I have to turn on the clock and I don't want to die, but I'm here to die, so <laughs> let's go. Three, two, one, go, you know? Yeah. like. That, that I know people have that, and I know people want to run away if, if that's like a aerosol bike uh, yeah. session. Um, but it's also a little bit different because they're not like professional athletes. Mm -hmm. So how can you find their um, strengths and weaknesses, and how can you, can you help them? Mm -hmm. And that's different for yeah, every member here. So that's sometimes also really hard. But I like that process, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's also why I like it, that people stay here pretty long so you get to know them better, so you can help them better. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I think personally that if you're like a top athlete or at least you want to perform at top level, that mindset has a really big carryover to being how people work, for example, in their working environment, how ambitious. It's similar, you just want to fill all the gaps. And I think if you're just tackling life, which people are doing who are doing CrossFit. You're doing the same, but then on a really big scale. Like Frog and me were doing it on a really niche corner. Really focused in, on one peak. Yeah, on one peak. Like I want to be the best on a bike, on the mm -hmm. roads, between 160 kilometers and 200 kilometers. Like that was my goal. And I want to be good at the last 20 kilometers of that race. Mm -hmm. Frog wants to be good at 45 seconds to one half minute. Like that was her goal on ice, with skates, in a suit. In a, in a, in a like circle, four meter oval, circle, yeah. and sometimes you have to do like one corner on the other side, and then the other. But that's really specific, and that's why it gets so detailed. But in the same time, when I'm tackling life, I don't want my bills to pile up while I'm being fit. So you want to balance everything, but now you can't get into details because the macros. It's like a big, bigger, bigger scale. Picture, yeah. yeah, but you want the same. You still want everything to be good. So that's why you can help that mindset. Like, yeah, you can tackle everything. I mean, she would prefer that Falco wants to tackle her ice skates, tackle her training perfection, nutrition, and all the things. And I want to have my bike ready, like I said, my structure, my food, also my training, competition should be good, I want to have a proper plan for the race. But at the same time, you can replace all those words by bills, food, family, training, mm -hmm. and you're a similar life, but now different goals. Yeah. And I think because I wanted to be the best, I can help maybe people getting the same out of their lives like I was getting out of my, my competition life. Yeah. Because I think being a mom, for example, is also not being a top athlete. <laughs> now I realize a lot because what Frog was saying, you were taking me everywhere. Like, I realize sometimes, shit, my dad every Sunday he had to drive to Belgium because I like to race in Belgium because it's more hilly. Yeah. We drove for two hours to be, the, below Liège. Like, why did he do that, man? Come yeah. on, should be so boring. <laughs> so, yeah, it's also... You, you also do a lot by feeling, mm -hmm. but I had that already as an athlete. It's sometimes maybe hard to describe, but you have a sort of feeling where you work uh, towards, towards or something. Yeah. yeah, it's sometimes hard to explain for me, but mm -hmm. that's how I work a little bit, yeah. 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 Now, to end this chat we're having, I have a couple of either-or questions for you. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> so I'm going to start with Franca. 
Kettlebells or dumbbells? Dumbbells. Oh, definitely dumbbells. Uh, talk to animals or speak all languages? Talk to animals. Speak all languages. Mm. Uh, mountains or sea? Oh, sorry. Mount yeah, mountains or sea? Mountains. 100% mountains. Burpees or thrusters? Ooh, I like them both. I have to choose one. Thrusters. Burpees. <laughs> Cindy or Mary? Mary. Mary, yeah, Mary. Uh, always summer or always winter? Oh, easy. Summer. <laughs> I figured with all the rain coming on. Uh, oh, Frank, and I have to choose. Right now, it's say summer because we don't have winters anymore. Fair enough. Okay. Amrap or chipper? <laughs> chipper. Yeah, chipper. Chipper. Uh, Pull-ups or push-ups? Pull-ups. Pull-ups. Mm. Um, early bird or night owl? Like to get up in the mornings or stay up late? Uh, I change it completely as a mom, so I'm an early bird right now. I never was as an athlete. Totally not. I've always been an early bird. Okay. Uh, clean or snatch? Oh, 100% snatch. <laughs> clean. That's not even discussion, fairly. <laughs> and Frank, is it clean? clean. I know. Um, sweet or savoury? Savoury? What do you mean Hearty. by that? Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, sweet. Yeah. Ooh, that's a, that's a difficult yeah. one. That's really getting into... I have to go for savory. Uh, front squat or back squat? Front. Uh, deadlift or bench press? Ooh. <laughs> I both don't really like it. <laughs> and bench press. Yeah, I mean, good for squat bench press. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, run or row? Row. Row. Uh, Toomey or Briggs? Briggs. Oh, you mean, oh, Toomey as in the, the athletes. athletes? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm going, going for the Yeah? Fraser or Froning? Oh, easy choice. Froning is the goat. <laughs> froning. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> hey, that was it. Thank you very much for sharing your, uh, yeah, your history and sports career with us. What a pleasure. It was nice. Pleasure. Mm -hmm. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Yeah.